Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. It's my pleasure today to be here with Randy Rouse, who is a longtime Santa Barbara City Council member, longtime business owner, who now is running for Santa Barbara Mayor. So we're going to have a great conversation. Randy Rouse, how are you doing today? Good, Josh. Good to see you. Thanks for having me aboard. Well, it's my pleasure. Um, you know, I followed you all over the years, uh, even before when you were on the City Council, when you were you know, downtown parking committee and you're a business owner and, and uh, then you went on the council and you got appointed and you had this great run, right? And you were very successful. And then we all thought you were done, right? You're done with uh, your public service. And we here all you are. That. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> here you are, you're back. You're taking another bite of the apple. You're running for mayor. So uh, can you, let's start there. Let's sort of talk about um, why you're choosing to take this on at this time. Well, you know, as everybody knows, this has been a really strange, really difficult year, at least. And it's going to be very hard to navigate as we come, as, as we unfold this and, and, and bring it back to whatever we consider normal these days. And I think it's going to take a particular skill set and a lot of leadership. And I, frankly, I'm seeing the current council struggling with each other, struggling with issues, struggling with staying focused on Santa Barbara itself. And... Um, I find that bothersome. I think that uh, there's a lot of things, a lot of parts of the genie, they're going to need to be put back in the bottle. Uh, there's a lot of considerations uh, about where we're going to go in terms of the city with design, with State Street, with homelessness, all these things. And I think it's going to take more focus than I'm seeing right now. And um, it wasn't my lifelong ambition to be the mayor of Santa Barbara, trust me. Uh, but I do feel a need. I do feel still very connected. Uh, one thing I learned while I was on council was the fact that I actually care a lot more about this stuff than I would have guessed before. So I still do care about it and I'm still involved and I'm still going to be involved on some level. So here I am back at back in the saddle again. Yeah, well, I know a lot of people are, are super excited to, to know that you are running and uh, I, I believe that, you know, they've been asking you to run for a while and then you finally decided you're just going to go ahead and do it. Can we talk about what are some of the specific issues in Santa Barbara that you care about most that maybe the council and the city administration are not handling as well as they should? I mean, obviously, the pandemic has changed everything as it relates to downtown. That could be one place we start, but what are some of the specific concerns you have in terms of the council's uh, approach to these key situations? Well, you know, I've always been passionate about the downtown. My business was there for almost 38 years, and I was involved in, the, of course, the chamber and as well as the downtown organization now, downtown Santa Barbara. Uh, a lot of civic committees and commissions, downtown parking, as you mentioned before, uh, so the downtown and its vitality has always concerned me. So what's it going to take to really make State Street vital again? It wasn't that long ago. We had probably one of the lowest vacancy rates of anywhere in the state. Uh, real estate was extremely valuable. It is still, still valuable, but I mean, it was selling for record prices per square foot. And that isn't that long ago. Uh, of course, with the retail meltdown and whatnot, we need to, to, to really look at things. And I'm not really sure what the answer is. I have my own opinions, but I really do want to make sure we're asking all the right questions as we move forward into our future. Uh, I don't see today's snapshot as the future. I see today's snapshot as a reaction uh, to an emergency. 
And I will say that the council of the administration uh, did precisely what they had to do at that time. And here we are uh, in a, in a, you know, it, it, and it's working out really well as an emergency measure, but there's a long way to go from here to where permanence is. And when you get right down to it, Santa Barbara is still one of the most beautiful cities in the entire world. State Street is one of the greatest walking streets in the entire world. So we need to make sure that we don't lose focus on that. And we need to make sure we understand as much as possible what's going to bring us back to full business vitality. So obviously, State Street is going to be the, the elephant in the living room. Uh, homelessness, which is the perpetual issue uh, and how we deal with it. I mean, it's the presence is ramped up uh, partially because of COVID and partially because of permissiveness and the fact that the State Street is closed down. So the lack of constant traffic or the lack of traffic on some blocks exacerbates that. Uh, county health has asked the city not to uh, you know, shelterize people, you know, mainly because they were trying to keep the, the distance and whatnot. So I think we're going to have to approach that. And I, I think that's going to take a very cooperative effort between ourselves, the county agencies, and certainly other agencies like SB Act and uh, CityNet, and very proactive. And we have an absolutely fabulous interim police chief who understands all that and is trying to be proactive and he's got you know people walking the streets and that that helps a lot that presence helps a bunch you know i've always been a big fan that's when i initiated the uh, ambassador program which the our, our city council fortunately embraced uh and that wasn't about enforcement that was all about presence and what does it take to have a uniform presence on the street to make us all you know a little more comfortable in our surroundings and then certainly we've got, uh, you know, the budget coming up and that's, you know, that's hurting from the pandemic, but it's really, we've been there, done that not that long ago, coming out of the great recession. So we have the tools and we have the people in place. We'll be able to do that if we, if we show discipline. And then there's the rest of the town because the rest of the town often gets ignored. I mean, we have a, a vibrant, amazing place in Milpa Street that I think uh, deserves attention, deserves its own design district, deserves, deserves a lot of, um, of uh, whatever attention that they would like to see in their own neighborhoods. Uh, Coast Village Road is beginning their own business improvement district and they're, 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 they want some autonomy and they're getting some attention as well. And then there's the north side. The north side always has uh, traffic issues. It has issues with potentially developing a lot of housing. And uh, how is that going to come about? And what are the concerns there? And, and what, what are the citizens really thinking about up there? And, and in the Mesa, we're up there and our, we've got an extremely active Mesa neighborhood group along with our Mesa architects group. And they, uh, they're, you know, they're, we're our own little world up there. Everybody seems to be uh, really willing to pitch in. But I think that's true of most neighborhoods. Whenever we ask people to show up for a community cleanup or a community workday, I'm just blown away by the number of people that will show up ready to pitch in and do stuff for free and take pride in their neighborhood. So um, I'm really into neighborhood autonomy. I'm into all the things that, uh, frankly, the state's trying to take away from us right now. And I, I think uh, all those things are, are, are in the mix. So there's a lot of issues, but let's face it, State Street and homelessness are probably going to take center stage. Yeah, downtown is really unrecognizable. Um, I was down there recently with my family. We had dinner and 
there's so many people like the, the streets are or at least the 500 block the 500 block is full of people everyone's eating on the the sidewalk out in the street um, obviously there are no cars um, anymore that are allowed on that part of state street not every block is treated equal though uh, obviously the ones with the lots of restaurants see a lot of vibrancy but we've heard some of the blocks that have not been closed to cars um, actually being hurt by the city's actions. I'm wondering, what do you think of, you know, you said it was a temporary, it was the right thing to do temporarily. Long-term, should we be closed down to cars? Should we have people eating on the streets? Do we want to fragment State Street so that some blocks are vibrant with people and others aren't? Uh, Long-term, you know, what are some of the thoughts you have on this? Well, those are those are all fabulous questions, and they don't have precise answers. They have kind of philosophies, and they have different opinions. And I walk State Street every day, uh, and I try to talk to as many of the merchants, uh, employees, and whatnot as I possibly can. I just just got back from my daily walk just now, and I get the real mixed bag. I mean, there's a lot of the restaurant people, uh, particularly the 500 block, are very happy with having it the way it is. Uh, and then you go up a couple blocks and there's nothing going on. And then you go up a few blocks more. And sometimes there's a big restaurant parklet out in front of some retail places that are feeling hurt because they don't feel like they, the people can have access to them. Uh, and then you have the ones that are like Janine's, for example, was hurt on Figueroa Street by the closure. And uh, that uh, Allison's gone now, which is unfortunate because they're fabulous. Um so it's a real, it's hard to pick winners and losers. And, and you, have, you have this city, which has allowed this usage of the public right-of-way for private business. And so how do you make that equitable around the rest of the city? You know, because a lot of places just really aren't set up for that. Yeah. And it's a lot of, there's a lot of questions to ask that are not simplistically answered. Yeah. And to pick winners and losers is not really the rule. I don't think government should be playing. Uh, it's, it's going to happen on some level, but I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on the record as somebody who's never favored closing streets. Uh, and, and every one of our consultants that we hired uh, for downtown, including the ones the DO hired, uh, were not in favor of closing streets because the, the, the track record of street closures to make urban malls since the 70s is not particularly a winning record. And uh, not that it can't happen. There are successful places like Boulder, for example. Uh, a few other the ones that I can imagine. Santa Monica is a roller coaster ride. They've had their ups and downs. In fact, they're, they're so retail oriented. They really were, had a worse uh, occupancy rate than we did in the, right before the pandemic. And so in the State Street, of course, the mix of businesses. Yeah, the restaurant blocks have people. The non-restaurant blocks don't seem to. But those are all privately owned property. So it's not like we can dictate what goes in where. I think our very, very best uh, uh, alternative is to try to make the government as easy to navigate as possible for those people who want to convert their buildings and want to turn them around, want to do anything with the tenant improvements. I think we need to really knuckle down and make that as as welcoming and as expeditious as possible so the private sector feels like, yeah, I'm going to invest. I'm going to do this. We're going to bring this back. And I, I think we're due for a really nice uptick in business. I think the, the indicators all look good. I think people have a lot of pent-up demand. They want to be out and about. 
So I'm optimistic about where we're going to go, but we just need to be able to have leadership enough to be able to, to, to get the right opinions, to get, you know, the, the functionalities together in a way that's going to make sense to everyone. You know, speaking of State Street, what about the, the e-bikes? One of the things I was struck by is the amount of e-bikes that are downtown. They have these docking stations. And uh, I mean, I'm, people use them. I'm sure the city's got great data on that. I see a lot of them parked uh, when I'm there. Um, do you have any thoughts on, you know, it just it feels like Santa Barbara during the pandemic the last year, Everything everybody ever wanted to do in transportation <laughs> did it under the guise of the pandemic quickly without review from the boards and commissions. These are the same boards and commissions that, of course, the, the private sector, the developers have complained for years, tie things up, take too long. Everyone, you know, sort of agrees that, yes, you know, they play an important role, of course, but it takes a long time. And here the city is, uh, it, it's we're not going to be able to do it in time. So let's just do it. The bicycles downtown, the e-bikes. We also have the proliferation of just people biking down State Street. What are your thoughts on that? Has that been handled the best way? Uh, fellow conspiracy theorist. I love it. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, there's always been a lot of lust and desire to make State Street a part. And it is a part of the bicycle master plan and part of the circulation for bicycles. But that also had the bikes where they belong, which is on a street, because they are, of course, controlled by the California Vehicle Code. And they're not supposed to be in a pedestrian area or shared pedestrian area because it really doesn't mix. So something that happened a few years back was the advent of the e-bike. And uh, I noticed that uh, while I was still on council, I was talking about we haven't really figured out how we're going to deal with the fact that these e-bikes and e-skateboards and e-whatever those little wheel things are, um, are going at, you know, 15 to 20 miles per hour mixed in with pedestrian traffic or mixed in on the bike lane and crossing a bike lane is now it's, you have to pay pretty serious attention because those things are coming at you pretty quickly. Everybody I know that owns an e-bike loves their e-bike. E-bikes, I think are a fabulous thing. Uh, the company that came in, uh, to install the e-bikes has, a very high quality product and they're out there maintaining them all the time. I see the guy in the van repairing them. So that's a much different situation than we had with the lime scooter episode. Right. If you may remember that. Um, however, what bothered me, and I wrote an article about this in the news hawk, as a matter of fact, about the fact that there are already a few vendors in town that were renting e-bikes uh, for a living. Yeah, And I don't know how this went. I assume the city went back and forth with these guys and said, do you want to put stations out or whatever? You know, the e-bike thing we have out there today is obviously very well financed and they have a, it's a bigger deal. Um, as far as a trend, this is a pretty easy town to navigate. So I don't know how much of that quote unquote last mile navigation you need, uh, what the future is going to be. But right now they're, they're on the pavement, they're on the street where normally would be a, you know, a right-hand turn lane or whatever. Um, they are in, mixed in with pedestrians. They're going a lot faster. And everybody I know that likes to walk on State Street feels like they need to be on the sidewalk because the middle of the street is now kind of the bike highway. Yeah. And I know I feel that way when I walk. And I walk in the street as much as I can to try to get a feel for what's going on. But I also want to be on my toes because some of these guys are coming at you pretty fast. 
but the sidewalks also have uh, dining on them. So it's, it's hard to get around and try to maintain your distance and do all the things you want to do. So I think that's going to be another part of putting the genie in the bottle. I don't know. Uh, yeah, like I said, the, the, the company is a very professional company. How this, this, this model works financially once it's all said and done, I don't know. Because once again, as I look at car traffic, I look at people that are doing e-bikes and people that are out and about. We're in a very rarefied time. All my colleagues can't find employees. People aren't working, aren't coming back to work. And I don't know if because they've got benefits or whatever, but there's a lot of folks that are cruising around in the middle of the weekday that I'm going, wow, I thought you'd be working right now. So <laughs> I'm not really sure, Josh. That's a great, those are great questions. Though. I mean, what we you know, there's a lot of desire for the bikes to be a part, a big part of our culture. I get that, but I don't think you can mix the bikes and the pads and have a happy uh, result. Uh, you know, one of the things when you were on the council, <clears throat> you developed a reputation for being a moderate. Um, you know, some people said you were maybe too much to the right on some issues, but, you know, covering you, you pretty much landed in the place of what's the right decision for this moment without trying to please a constituency uh you know a party or anything so i think people that's what part of your appeal is with randy you get the straight shooter uh and and he's going to see the situations where as they are and not really check in with party leaders before deciding how she should vote um and, and so i think that that's a approach that a lot of people value I want to transition into, you know, some actions the council has taken recently. And most recently they, you know, they voted to uh, give grocery store workers of a certain size, an extra $5 an hour for up to 60 days. And these are companies that have at least 300 employees nationally and one employee locally. Originally it was pitched as hero pay and then when it came back for the actual vote, they changed it to hazard pay. But the idea was that grocery store workers couldn't call in sick, that they had to keep working in order to accommodate people who were shopping in grocery stores for food. So they're interacting with customers constantly. And so they deserve more compensation for that. And I don't think anyone disagrees that that's a risky job. And if their employers want to pay them more money, go for it. But I think the issue here is government mandating that these employers have to pay more. Um, so can you talk a little bit about um, your thoughts on that? And, and, you know, Megan Harmon, who I know you're, you know, close with, uh, she gave a nice speech when you retired. Uh, this was her idea. What's, what's up with this? You know, what would Randy Rouse do if he were on the council to combat this? I'm going to try my very best to be polite about this. Um, you know, one of my favorite uh, stores that I like to shop at is Tri-County Produce. Uh, apparently, there are no heroes working there because they don't qualify for the 300 employee or bigger thing. Um, so this was more of a move to punish the big stores, which ironically already covered mostly by union help to begin with. And, and I didn't see them asking for this or begging for this on a, on a national level. Whatever the state is, the government has no business being in there doing this. Because what people don't realize is what $5 is, is $5 
in if it if it's after a, a job in the mid-teens is about 30% raise. And even though it's temporary, there are still payroll taxes, there are real expenses with this. Uh, and let's say, for example, go back to my friend John at Tri-County. Let's say he onboarded somebody and they just he finished training them, paying them to get them up to the speed and the job they're going to do. And they went, wait, I can go work at Ralph's and get an extra five bucks an hour. I'm I'm out of here. Yeah. Here I go. And all of these people are looking for help right now. I mean, yeah. everybody's overbidding everybody else. McDonald's, I saw an ad was paying a $500 bonus to employees for referrals. I mean, it's, I don't know about that locally, but I know nationally they were. Mm -hmm. And I say, you know, government has zero business involved in trying to decide what the private sector should pay anybody at any time. Uh, you know, and I can go off into that direction forever, but this is a particularly egregious thing. Um, and I, and I told Megan, I go, this is this, I, I feel as ashamed of this as I did during the, the project labor agreement thing, because it truly is a nod to other powers other than the city. Mm -hmm. And it's certainly not going to benefit the city. If, for example, like Long Beach, some stores close, yeah. you know, I don't know that that's going to happen. I don't know if that's imminent uh, or if, you know, there's, there's a Vons in Goleta and there's a Vons in Santa Barbara and they're now they're competing because one, one guy has a greater operating expense than the others. Yeah. Um, just, it's just wrong on so many levels and it's cynical. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's just, it's, it's showing allegiance to organizations outside of the people who live in this city. And uh, I really don't appreciate it. I think it's a, it's a bad piece of symbolism. And yeah, and Megan is a good friend of mine. Um, so she's already, she's already been harangued by me sufficiently, <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I just, you know, those kind of moves are symbolic. Uh, living wage moves are symbolic. When, you know, is a living wage $17 or is it $75? In this town, it's probably close to $75. So, you know, what's, what's, what's the difference at the end of the day? If, you, if you, you either make something symbolic, you make something meaningful. These are not meaningful, but they can be destructive. Yeah, I think, you know, like you pointed out is, if, you, if you're a grocery store worker and you've worked for a smaller company like Tri-County Produce, um, we don't want to mandate them to pay, but they're not heroes. They don't deserve some compensation. And then you, so you do it to the larger ones because they have the most profits theoretically so that they can, they can pay. Well, well um, there's a lot of sectors that worked every day during the pandemic. You know, it's not just grocery store workers. And believe me, great you know, grocery store workers are great people. They deserve as much as their employers pay them, you know, and, you know, but, um, you know, I got an email from a banker who said I had to go to work every day and deal with money and interactions and, you know, no one's offering to pay me more. So I just feel like it's an interesting group constituency to try to serve. Of course, they're not all unionized. But what struck me though is there was no list. Here are the companies in Santa Barbara that would be impacted. When the council voted, there was no list by the city. So nobody really knows. I mean, we can guess, but nobody really knows who's impacted by that. Let's transition into the council. Uh, what is your take on this group? And I'll, I'll be real specific. You know, I think Mayor Kathy Murillo is very nice. She's very sweet. She's friendly. Uh, she's, she's, you know, she shakes hands, she hugs people, you know, not maybe not during the pandemic, but she's a very warm person out on the street. Um, and she's, a, I believe, a good person. Uh, but 
I feel like the council is very dysfunctional at times, though, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and it's like they work in silos. Okay. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe some people think that's great. What's your take on the makeup of this council? Do we have the leadership that we, that we need or what's, what's going on? Well, I mean, clearly that's why I'm running because I think there is something like, and I really don't want to blame it all on Kathy because she's also facing a fully districted council for the first time and a fully one party council for, you know, I mean, the parties never, never used to matter. It was, you know, not until, you know, not in pretty recent history that the, the, the parties even got involved in these nonpartisan races like school board, like council, it hasn't worked out too well. So there's a lot of things going on with the pandemic and whatnot too, but it takes an exceptional kind of leadership. And I look back to people like, I always uh, think back to Harriet Miller, who, you know, Harriet and I were friends and she was a no nonsense person. And I always called her give them hell Harriet, because when she ran the meeting, you knew who the mayor was. People had their opinions, they had their say, and she brought it in at the end. And you really need to be able to let the cats run around in the field at the end of the, uh, the issue, herd them and bring them in and make a conclusion and not get too involved in how the motions are made or the comments they made and whatnot. And it's hard too, because they're also Zooming uh, which is uh, a very hard way to do business. I, this, this is even awkward for me. I don't, I'm not a big zoom person, but yeah. it's, um, you know, there's a lot of factors going on, but I think what bothers me is there's been a lot of focus. Uh, the mayor's been a part of it as well on outside issues. They had an entire agenda item about Medicare for all, which may be a wonderful idea, but it's not a city. Nancy Pelosi did not hold up the vote on the floor because the Santa Barbara City Council had weighed in yet. I mean, this is not in our purview. We have so much to do. You can look out the door and see all the things you have to do and take care of. We're in the middle of an, coming up on another drought. We have the finances to take care of. We have states, we have homelessness. Why are we talking about Medicare for all? Well, it's because probably because the party said, you need to talk about Medicare for all and support salute. I don't know that, I'm just, I'm just guessing. Yeah. So I think the council's focus has been other than on uh, business and on the city. And I think it really needs to be narrowed down. The job isn't that hard if you vote for the right reasons. If you, you might get it wrong, you might get the vote wrong. But if you vote for the right reasons, you don't end up with items like hero pay. I mean, that, that, those the, the people are voting to kind of go get along with each other for my vision as opposed to what's right. And they'll say things, well, you don't want to let the perfect get in the way of the good. I'm going, no, that's mean you just did a halfway job on your issue. And like you said, Josh, no data, no, no nobody knows who this affects and who it doesn't affect and what the, the, the uh, eventual consequences could be. Hmm. So that's not really how you should, you should not be making uh, legislation based on that. I want to ask you about, um, <clears throat> you know, an issue that was, in the news quite a bit and that's the the transfer of the cannabis license on upper state street um so we had this competitive bid process or this competitive application process three people got picked three companies one of them essentially sold a controlling interest of their of their company and the license to a pennsylvania company that's traded on the canadian stock exchange uh, so you've got this outside company selling cannabis on Upper State Street. Um, and I think you were involved a little, you know, you were on the council back during the, the you know, these talks about the dispensaries. 
Um, has Santa Barbara lost handle of its dispensary license sort of management? Uh, what do you think of this outside company, basically this corporation doing business right next to the Sunshine Cafe and across from Loretta Plaza selling cannabis? Is this the way it was supposed to be? Well, as you recall, I was a rather cranky member of council, which you could say about a lot of issues on this whole thing, because what I was trying to develop uh, was just a, a basically like a fulfillment center, like they have and have deliveries and no storefront dispensaries. I got That's shot. I remember that, that now. I remember you said that, yeah. Because I thought no matter what everybody thinks, nobody wants to be in proximity of one of these things, no matter what they think, the security or, or, or you know, things are. And then there's anecdotes flying back and forth. So it's happened, it's there, and it's there now. We actually did, one of the bright things we did in this whole thing was put a firewall between the applicants and the council members, because the council members get lobbied. Uh, there's all sorts of influence going on. So basically it was like Paul Casey and his staff uh, were gonna make the selections and decisions. It wasn't gonna come down to a vote, so there wouldn't be any, any of this kind of underpinning. Well, given the nature of the business, it kind of happens anyway. Uh, I don't think there's any necessarily crooked in it. Here's what my here's what my analogy is. As I look at a, uh, this, this I don't I don't know what the value was. I heard all sorts of different numbers about what the, the either the license was valued at or or the company, and it was part of an asset sale, from what I understand. And to me, it's like if a restaurant. Uh, excuse me, I can shut this off. Sorry. Uh, if a restaurant has a liquor license, like I did, and they sell that, the liquor license is one of the assets that gets sold. So it's, it's you know, it can be, it can be named out. But if I, if I do sell a liquor license, that person has to qualify and be legally able to hold a liquor license. And same thing with the cannabis. The licensee has to be approved by the powers of be in the, the city. And like I said, I'm not really that intimate with it because there has been that firewall. So uh, I don't think we anticipated this. We didn't, uh, there's a lot of things that weren't anticipated. It was rushed through. That was one of my big complaints. As you may recall from covering this, Josh, there were some of my colleagues were going, we've got to get this done now. We've got to reduce the fees. We've got to expedite this. Maybe give them a tax holiday. I'm going, hold the phone. What business has we ever done this before ever? Mm -hmm. <laughs> we were the most business friendly to the cannabis industries were to anybody. So it's not a surprise to me that something oopsie has gone wrong yeah. and that the people who did not make the cut for whatever reasons are upset about it. Um, you know, I, like I said, I, 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 I don't have a, I, I think for their own good as a business, I think that the three is going to cover the town just fine. Uh, I think that uh, well, I was talking to some of the powers that be before and, our city, our size of city, they, they figure usually, usually needs about one dispensary to cover this population. Well, we have three. Yeah. And at some point in time, I can't imagine that they're not going to flood the zone so much that the prices are going to have to come down. I don't know. I yeah. don't really follow it. But yeah. so, yeah, that turning over for that asset, I don't really know. I know no more details than I, than I read. Whatever I read in the news, Hawk, is what I believe. <laughs> and, uh, but that's how I see it. I see it as an asset sale of a larger of a larger business. This Canadian stock exchange thing is a really interesting twist. Everybody anticipates that cannabis is going to be legalized federally so that they can have interstate sales or export or whatever. 
But we were talking about this stuff in the 90s, and they were really sure it was all going to happen. Everybody was blown away that California wasn't the first one to legalize recreational. The Obama administration came in. Eric Holder had one set of rules, and he reversed himself. And that's when people started losing assets like property on seizure. So I don't know if there's any clear path going forward. And I... um, you know, I, I certainly don't know how to opine. I know that's been the biggest growth industry I've ever seen. It's crazy. Right. Yeah. I mean, Other I mean Bitcoin, was, maybe. Yeah. I don't even understand Bitcoin or non fungible no, tokens either. or whatever it is. Um, yeah. You know, we get a, the, you know, I just did an interview with Graham Farrar. He's got a dispensary opening up in Isla Vista, mm-hmm. San Inez, and it's just like, Dang, how many people are smoking cannabis? <laughs> it's like, wow. Um, so, um, a lot. I just... <laughs> uh, one more like sort of politics question, then we'll sort of move on a little bit. But, uh, you know, as a reporter, people sort of say, oh, you know, Kathy's going to get reelected because there's too many people running. You know, there's, there's three candidates who are going up against her. And we saw this the first time when we had a whole bunch of candidates and they all split the vote. And, you know, Kathy was the one candidate, if you like that kind of candidate, who people were going to vote for. And uh, she won. Uh, do people talk to you in your circles saying, hey, if you really don't want Kathy to be mayor, Randy, then you need to get out or you need to get one of these other ones to get out. But there's too many people. They're going to split the vote and we're going to be stuck with her for five more years. So, um, I mean, what, what do you think of that calculus? Does that concern you at all? You know, it, it's really funny, the political calculus, because I hear it. Yeah, I hear about it a lot. Um and of course, every consultant you ever met, and I'm, I'm talking to you guys out there, are the, always the smartest guys in the room, right? Uh, Kathy is a really good campaigner. She's a compelling candidate. She always has been. She's really good at it. Yeah. And I think she actually enjoys it. And I've always been known as a bad candidate because I'm not as, as I don't like to ask people for money and I don't necessarily like to, to uh, actually, I like, I like meeting people. I mean, I like being out there. I had a much more uh, public profile when I had the restaurant and mm-hmm. I saw a lot of people every day. Um, but it is important to get out there and campaign and do those things. So people know who you are and what you're thinking about in terms of the numbers and the calculus. I think last time, you had Angel, you had Frank, you had Bendy, you had Hal, um, you know, so, and then there was Kathy, and I think Kathy won, I think she had like 27% of the vote or whatever, because everybody split the vote up so much. Yeah. And people talk about it in this time, too, although all three of those guys were trying to get the Democratic Party endorsement, and, you know, I don't know who believes what or what on what side. I can only be who I am. Yeah. Um, but she's going to be tough. I mean, I, you know, not to, not to disrespect the other candidates. I, they're, they're out there working hard now and raising money and got all that kind of stuff. But uh, Kathy's going to be tough. And she's also the incumbent. And incumbency means a lot. I, you know, I know that because I won probably based on my incumbency before. Yeah. Uh, but it's, um, uh, you know, campaigning is one of those, is one of those, you know, to my, it's, it's one of the downsides of the job as far as I'm concerned. I like the work. I like doing what I did on council, never like campaigning that much, but I've got to get better at it. And uh, this next few months is going to be a lot of work and we're going to, you know, I'm geared up to do it. I'm geared up to get out there and go talk to people. Um, but it is, um, 
you had the political calculus. Everybody goes back and forth with the numbers. You had polling, and this is how many people you got to pull out of this district. And I just makes my head spin. I, you know, every individual is a vote out there, as far as I'm concerned. So I'll talk to anybody any length to see what they want and to see who they want and why. Yeah. You know, it's been a couple of years since you've been removed from uh, the Paradise Cafe. So that that was your life. That was your business life for so long. And uh, I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about uh, winding that down and, you know, going from being owner and sort of just being sort of the life of the party on the outdoor, you know, patio <laughs> and knowing everybody and at the bar and um, and now you're not, and now it's, it's, you know, you, it's been sold. It's back to the original name that it had before. Mm-hmm. What, what's that like for you? I mean, it's sort of seeing that change and how are you it, dealing with that? It's amazingly unemotional for me. I didn't know how I was going to feel because, you know, I, I'm usually a pretty sentimental person, but I, those last couple of years were really, really tough. You know, as, as retail faded, it was tough on the restaurants downtown as well. And uh, my, my friends that own the Enterprise Fish Company went through the same thing. And that's why they got out. It just, you know, became tougher and tougher. You know, and of course, as minimum wage goes up, that really affects the hospitality industry negatively as well. So all those things were going on. But, I, you know, it was a business I had a lot of passion for. Uh, was there for a lot of my entire adult life, basically. And what I do miss is I do miss, you know, seeing the public. You know, I, I actually, I don't necessarily miss being an employer, but I do miss my employees. Yeah. Um, you know, because that's a really great people. And I had a couple of people with me over 30 years, two or three actually. Yeah. Mm. And uh, that, that was kind of tough because you don't think about 30, you think about 30 years of being a long time and all of a sudden you wake up and it is just went by it. And I mean, yeah. it's crazy. So I'm pleased with what Sherry's done with the place in terms of she went back to the La Paloma name, which is it made her, land, her my landlord happy. And she that was what her grandmother called it. And, uh, you know, I've been there and I've had a nice experience. They've got really nice people working there. So uh, and then they did a you know, they cleaned up a lot of stuff that needed to be cleaned up. It was an old, tired building. And I know where all the bones are buried. Um, but I think it's uh I think that I think that whole corner once, you know, the place across the street uh, and both corners fills up and the black sheep on the caddy corner way. I think that's going to be a pretty cool corner pretty soon. Yeah. But as far as going there every day and doing the work, I go, you know, it's almost 40 years. I, you know, I, I think I had my turn. So somebody else can can ride that pony for a while. All right. And, and I know you're gearing up for the, the mayor, you know, you're running now, but in the time between when you left and you weren't running, how were you enjoying Santa Barbara with that kind of extra time and you're no longer on the council? Well, you know, it was interesting because obviously that was, that was COVID. And yeah. so I was enjoying the inside of my house more than I like to like to think. And I was, uh, you know, catching up on some things around there and, doing projects. My, my big day out was going to home improvement center for more lumber for the projects I was doing. Uh, but, uh, uh, it did give you a perspective on Santa Barbara. It really did make me look even harder at the city from the outside looking in as neither a businessman nor a council member any longer. And, uh, I, I gained even a greater appreciation for where we were. And I had my, my daughter was living in LA at the time and and she was locked up in her apartment and it was she working remotely and no place to go walk or even go outside. And she'd come up here and it was like, 
it was like going to Europe. I mean, it was like, oh my gosh, we, you know, we live right by the shoreline park. You go down and walk on the park, walk on the beach. Um, I've seen you doing stairs down there. I know you go down there too. Oh yeah. Um, it's, uh, and you, you look back at the mountains and you go, oh my God, this is, this is the most amazing place probably on the planet. So it's not hard to have the passion to want to go back in and make sure things are going to go um, the way you want I, the, the, the talk about these, you know, upzoning neighborhoods and building skyscrapers and all these things are just, it's really disturbing. I think we really need to, we need to be able to, to, to move with the times, but we also need on some level to protect what we have. And what we have is pretty darn special. And I got a better perspective on that now, I think. Yeah. You, know, you mentioned your daughter, you know, I also covered the Santa Barbara Unified School District and Everybody over there raves about Brian Rouse and how brilliant he is. I mean, they use that word over and over. Are you sure that's your kid? How'd that happen? Well, I was going to say, Janet, <laughs> having DNA tests as we speak, as we're not sure. Both our kids were, were pretty darn good at school and whatnot. And that wasn't, that wasn't their parents. So we're not really clear what happened there. <laughs> um, just to wrap up, Randy, let's, let's just sort of, uh, talk you know going ahead for people who are trying to decide who's, who they want to be the next mayor uh you know what what makes you stand out you know we, we you know you got it you got an incumbent and you know she's a latina woman and you know she's in touch with a large percentage of you know the, the population she's endorsed by the party you've got another entrepreneur james joyce and you know he's worked with hannah beth and he's got a record of doing a lot of good stuff and you got Deborah mm -hmm. Schwartz the planning commissioner and she's really smart she knows these issues um you know and you've got you who've got the experience of being on the council and business owner and a moderate and and somebody who looks at the issues exactly how they are and not try to fit them into a puzzle piece that pleases somebody else um you know why why should they look at Randy as be like he's the future of Santa Barbara well, it depends on, on what you want to see. I'd like to think of this, is that I look at each issue that it's, it's got its own life and it's got its own purpose. Whatever I vote on an issue uh, isn't calculated in with anything else. It's about that issue and it's about that project or about that piece of legislation, whatever it is. I also don't believe in more legislation is better uh, rather than, uh, you know, like in the, in, in the case of the rental housing thing, I go rather than trying to legislate and make rules and, and whatnot is we, you know, we fully funded the rental housing mediation task force. Don't legislate, mediate. Let's, let's, you know, talk with each other because every situation is a little bit different. And legislation is the way that people in office like to go, well, I did my part. I passed this ordinance. And then of course, you know, how many ordinances do we have that aren't, that aren't uh, enforced? Um, I also think because of my experience in the private sector, as well as my experience in the public sector, I have a nice perspective doing that. Being in the private sector, being in business does not confer genius on anyone. I, can, I'm, I think I'm an example of that, especially if you're in the food service business for all those years. But it does give you a perspective. Yeah. And then being on council for all those years, and plus my years in the parking committee and doing other kind of commissions and committees, uh, I got a feel for how the government works so well, and I understand uh, why things work the way they do sometimes. So I think if you want somebody that has those kinds of perspectives and isn't focused on an outside group, isn't focused on issues other than the city, 
isn't worried about what the party thinks, isn't worried about what my political future is going to be. Um, I mean, you know, it was perfectly her right to do, to do so. But right after the mayor got elected, she ran for assembly. And I go, that's certainly her choice and certainly qualified to do. But you go, what's the focus? What's the purpose? What are we doing here? Yeah. I'm here about Santa Barbara. And I'm not, you know, I'm not coming from somewhere else. I mean, I, I wasn't born here, but I've been here for almost 50 years now. Yeah. Boy, that's a long time. Um, but it's, it's also the thing I have a passion for. My passion going forward is what is it we can do to maintain the city, maintain its beauty, because it is the aesthetic that we sell to the outside world and to our residents, while at the same time ensuring that the businesses are as vital as possible to provide good incomes and uh, jobs and you know, cleanliness and vitality. Uh, what can we do about you know, the housing situation? Does that have any, you know, can we do it without, we, can we do it without- 60 disincentiv- feet downtown? Yeah, not <laughs> quite. And we can't do it by disincentivizing the private sector by saying thou shalt follow all these affordability rules or you don't get to build it. And they go, okay, we're not gonna build it. And then lastly, giving them a process that they can trust and believe in and say to their investors, okay, here's the project, we can do this. And we've been given a timeline that I can trust because we know these guys are, are gonna be able to do this. And all those things are improvements that we can make to an already unbelievable city. We have an incredible police force and fire department that we never, we didn't recognize during the whole BLM thing. And I was really unhappy with that with our council because our police chief had already done most of the things on the list that healing justice handed over and our people in uniform. I invite anybody to walk around on the street with any of those people for a a couple of hours one day and just say, Oh, that's who these people are. Mm -hmm. And our fire department's hitting on all cylinders doing stuff. 70 some percent of their responses are for medical responses and they're there. They're doing it. They're saving lives. Um, you know, and then even our, our public works has been knocking it out of the park with Measure C money. If you'll notice outside of the State Street, we've been paving and replacing water mains and doing things that uh, at a pace that uh, we haven't seen since I've lived here. So things are going going well for being just coming out of the pandemic. And I want to make sure we don't screw it up by layer, putting too many layers of government between us and what makes common sense. And I think that's I think that's what. I think makes me different. I think uh, I think I'm different than the other candidates because I'm not the government candidate per se. Even though I wasn't government for nine years, yeah. I think that I don't. It's not that I don't believe in government, but I don't think government is is necessarily the answer all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, right now, the trend is more government is the answer. I'm thinking, wow, this is this is a pretty slippery slope. So I think it's time to moderate. I think it's time to focus, and I think it's time to be about Santa Barbara. And you will commit right here to hero pay for journalists, if like, <laughs> well, correct? You guys, yeah, I'm always amazed. You guys, well, as long as we keep in your little closet there in your house, you're fine. There, but, uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Nobody I love more than a journalist, by gum. <laughs> no, no, no. I always appreciate you because, uh, you know, journalists, like everybody, are, are not perfect. And we have good days and bad days. And we are, there's also perspective. But, you know, there, there's been a few stories over the years where you'll send me an email and say you got that one wrong dude but <laughs> you, you don't hold a grudge you know you don't 
decide to cast me as the worst person on the planet because you uh, <laughs> disagree with, you know, something. And, you know, that's, that's refreshing because a lot of times, especially in 2021, people will, will judge you and cancel you. And you're like, you're done the first time something happens that they don't agree with. But, you know, in my experience as a reporter, you, you tell me you don't like the story and then you, it's a new day, you know? So. Well, I was proud of all you guys when that Kriegman article came out in the LA magazine and everybody was buzzing about it. My phone was ringing off the hook about it. And none of our local news agencies went for that red meat. And I went, that's that right there. So showed me a lot. It wasn't a knee jerk reaction to a to a story it was it was actually you guys you know maybe we should get some facts i'm like now we're talking and that was great yeah yeah and plus a lot of that you know the stuff that was accurate and true i had reported beforehand you know yeah. you know ahead of time but yeah no i think that um you know that's one of the things that people uh, appreciate about you straight shooter and you call it down the middle. So um, I appreciate your time, Randy. And, uh, you know, good luck to you and your campaigning. And uh, we'll see how it goes, you know, what can happen between now and November. And uh, who knows, you know, we'll see. It's a marathon, not a sprint, but it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I got to get out there and work out and get in shape. That's for sure. You need to get your son campaigning for you because, you know, he's <laughs> pretty well liked in the circles out here. So. I know if I had his reputation, this wouldn't be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have a great day. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Josh.